1: You are listening to Flop Culture, a podcast all about our favourite flops. I'm your host, Fanula. I hope you're well. I hope you enjoyed last week's episode on High Fidelity. One of my fave watches of the year for sure. Please watch it over Christmas. It will make my year and I know it will make yours. It's really, really good. Thank you again to Sunita for joining me. If you haven't listened yet, maybe you're waiting for the video episode. I've got great news. It's live. It is now on YouTube. A little bit of a delay, but it's there. If you go to Fanula, J-A-Y, Fanula J on YouTube, you will find the full video podcast there. And I hope you really enjoy it. In the spirit of Christmas, you know, we're forgetting about the news. We're forgetting what time it is, what day it is. And we're just getting straight into the flop this week. I really hope you enjoy. Christmas movies. Generally, they're hitting key themes. Love, the true meaning of Christmas, family, family. One movie manages to encapsulate all three while still being one of the most divisive Christmas movies of all time. And I don't think I'm being hyperbolic when I say that. Joining me to discuss The Family Stone is author Vicki Nataro. Enjoy. Vicki Nataro, you are very welcome to Flop Culture. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Tis Brilliant. the season. I'm, oh, I'm thrilled to have you and I'm thrilled to chat about your book, which we will talk about later, but we're here to talk <laughs> flops first because tis the season. What have you chosen today to talk about?
2: I've chosen the iconic film, which is a flop to some, a bop to
1: others, but kind of terrifying all around. <laughs> it's The Family Stone. The Family Stone, yes. I don't think I've ever had as many responses to... A story or a topic when I put this on my own story that we, that you were watching it and yeah. you said you're doing your research, and I put it on my own story. And immediately I got an influx of messages of people being like, it's not a flop, I love it, blah, blah, blah. And then you'd have the other people being like, hated this movie, so depressing, yeah. no idea how anyone watches it. <laughs> how did you come across it? When did you first watch it? Do you know
2: what? I think I saw that in the cinema. Okay. Many, many moons ago. Um, I think I did. And if I didn't, it was very soon after. Maybe. I got it on DVD. I love um, Diane Keaton. Who doesn't? And I adore Sarah Jessica Parker. Mm. Who doesn't? So I was very interested in it at the time. And in a post-love actually world, I was very into a Christmas, what I thought would be a (laughs) rom-com. And it kind of had had a Nancy Myers vibe in terms of the aesthetic, the ensemble cast. And I was like, this is going to be right up my street. And I think when I first watched it... I loved it. I didn't, I was a teenager, or I was quite young. I didn't think it was, what year did it come out? It's like 2005. 2005. So I was quite young, you know, it didn't really occur to me just how savage parts of it are. <laughs> and, and I really liked it. And then I kept re-watching it, especially when it came on streaming. And then I remember watching it with my now husband, probably 10 years ago, maybe our first Christmas together, and him being just absolutely
1: horrified by it. <laughs> Like, completely I will perfect. say, this isn't a man's movie. You know what I mean? No. I don't think so. Even though the men in it are quite lovely, like, yes. the dad's quite lovely. Yeah. But I remember
2: him being like, are you crazy? <laughs> like, this is an insane film. I don't want to give too much away, but mad shit happens. Um, and then I kind of looked at it, I obviously read the discourse on the internet and kind of was looking at it with fresh eyes and going, okay, I can absolutely understand why this wasn't a commercial hit it wasn't quite a flop but it wasn't you know it didn't mm. do great when it came out despite the all star cast um, but I can understand why people hate it and I think you have to get through a lot of the painful parts to get to the real magic yeah which is kind of Christmassy in itself no? that's
1: oh my <laughs> god there's a reason why you're an author what a beautiful what a beautiful metaphor I'm obsessed with that Ob-based. but like
2: it's about family at Christmas which is complicated to say the least yeah so. I think
1: in some ways when we talk about Christmas movies and like obviously Christmas a lot of magic a lot of yes. you know a lot using your of children your imagi- yeah a lot of children using your imagination whereas like this is like realistic in parts realistic adult actually speaks to situations exactly. that people probably can relate to a lot more it's
2: very much about Christmas for grown ups yes and in a way that you know you have this kind of they're not an unusual family. They're actually a very normal family. They're very, like, kind of average family. Mm. But maybe in 2005 they weren't. Like, mm. there's a gay couple. They're talking about adopting a baby. Um, one of them's deaf. And, you know, they're they a very liberal family. And then into it comes this conservative, prim and proper woman played very against type, I think, by Sarah Jessica Parker, who we're so used to being whimsical, Carrie. Um, and she is just insufferable to start with. But you feel terrible for her because Mm. they're such a close-knit family. There's five kids. I think there's three boys, yeah, and two girls. And... The sisters are uh, one is Rachel McAdams. I think it was one of her very early roles around the same time as Mean she's Girls.
1: Brilliant, in she's this. a wagon. Oh, she's a wagon, a but she's she, but again speaks to her as an actor that she's totally. so good at being an yes. absolute witch, to Bitch. be honest. Yeah. Like. And then the other
2: sister is the lady from Twilight, <laughs> who other people might remember as being the lady with no face from Grey's Anatomy. Yes. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. I have no Suzanne idea of her is name. the character's name. I'll, yeah. I'll look it up. Um, I have no idea of the actress's name, but she's to me she's the mom or yeah she's the mom of the Collins and. Twilight. Twilight. Yeah. And she is no face girl in Grey's Anatomy. And she's lovely. She's the nice sister. Sarah Clark. Sarah Clark. I mean, that's a very forgettable name, Sarah. I'm sorry. Sorry, Sarah. We have a very
1: memorable face considering she had none in Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. So (laughs) good for her. (laughs) Correction corner, friends. I don't know where I got that original name and Vicky couldn't remember her name either. So she wasn't able to correct me, which is fair enough. But it's actually Elizabeth Ann Reeser. Sorry to her. Um, Also in The Haunting of Hill House and she's excellent in that. (laughs) Perfect. And then
2: the brothers are played by, well, the two well-known ones are uh, Luke Wilson, who I just find (sighs) delightful. Delightful, delightful, yeah. And your man Dermot Mulroney, oh, edible. So I don't fancy him. What I know, it's kind of. But in my best friend's wedding, which that most seems people very will ag- know him, yeah, from, yeah, he's just really smarmy and like he looks Fair. like he's made out of wax. Okay, <laughs> like he's permatant, the black hair. I mean, he's handsome. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. he's actually even more handsome as Everett in the Family Stone. Mm. He's kind of a bit more rugged. Mm. But he wouldn't do with me. I'd be far more into Luke Wilson
1: now. After yeah, it is Luke isn't okay. it Yeah, Luke Wilson.
2: Interesting. I kind of fancy the da.
1: Yeah, the da is pretty good in this as well. Yeah. See, I think I prefer Luke in this as his character. Yes, he's lovely. Because Everett's just like I feel like he doesn't know where he stands on anything. He you doesn't. know what I mean? As we see as by the say, end of the movie, he said the
2: da says, "I fear Everett does not know who he is." And, and I don't think he does. He
1: doesn't. What is this film about? Feel free okay. to spoil, and but this is your spoiler warning if you're listening yes. and you haven't okay. watched The Family Stone or you're planning on watching it for the first time over Christmas. I feel bad for producer Adam because I'm going to wreck it for him. Adam <laughs> has everything ruined on him every episode, <laughs> okay. so really sorry. He's Grand. giving a thumbs up here. He's fine. Okay. What happens so in The Family
2: Stone? So it Stone? is about Everett, the oldest son of The Family Stone. Mm. He is bringing his girlfriend Meredith home for Christmas to meet the family. They're extremely close-knit. Kind of rude, you know, kind the kind of, of family yeah. that you'd be kind of terrified to yeah. meet. Um, and he, the reason he's coming home and the Stone in question is he's looking, for, well, their name is Stone as well, but he's looking to ask his mother for uh, his grandmother's engagement ring to propose to Meredith. Mm. Now, they're all kind of bitchy to Meredith from the get-go because Rachel McAracter, Rachel McCaracter, <laughs> Rachel McAdams' character has decided that she doesn't like her. She's met her once, decided that she's up herself mm. and isn't a fan. So they're all kind of like bitchy from the get-go and Meredith, uh, Sarah Jessica, Parker's character has this tick where she's clearing her throat a lot she mm, <clears> that she's obviously an anxiety you know it's her anxiety tell um, and it's just delightfully awkward to begin with but she is a bit of a dope from the get go she won't sleep in Everett's bed you know she's making everybody feel uncomfortable so basically everyone is so mean to her that she rings her sister Claire Danes and says please come and spend Christmas with me they hate me so Claire Danes comes and all sorts of mad shit happens in that like loads of fights happen without really meaning to, which I guess is what happens at Christmas. Mm. Meredith says the wrong thing every time she possibly opens her mouth, but Rachel McAdams Claire is trying to kind of set her up to say the wrong thing. She's like
1: constantly having digs at her, as you said, there's a trying to make out she's a racist. Yeah, there's an infamous scene of charades, which, oh, I thought it was going to rip my skin off. It was. Yeah, it's very painful. But again, they all play it really well. But again, as you said, Rachel McAdams is setting up Meredith as implying that she's racist. She's not. She's just... she's
2: just very buttoned up like and she doesn't feel like she can relax around these people no um and I don't blame her. But then she at the dinner table the most excruciating dinner. This is the bit that if you get through it, you're you're onto the magic. But yeah. they have an excruciating Christmas Eve dinner in which uh, the gay couple are talking about adopting. They're a mixed race couple. One of them is deaf, and she uh, is saying, you know, have or Claire Danes, I think her sister says, you know, have you thought about what race you'd like the child to be? And the mother says that uh, she Diane Keaton's character, who is a bit of a wagon as well, she says something like, oh, I wish all my boys were gay. And which I can hard relate to, by the way, And Sarah Jessica says, oh, but of course you wouldn't actually wish that, would you? And they're kind of trying to make a joke of it and like giving her an out. Mm. And she just keeps doubling down and Mm. she's like, nobody would wish for the child for them to endure being different. And eventually it just snaps. Yeah. And she flees uh, this Christmas dinner and uh, the brother character played by Luke Wilson goes after her. And they've kind of had a spark this is where things get weird.
1: You see it from the very start that the he's second. like he's like looking at her yeah. and you're like, oh, maybe they know each other from a past thing. That's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. That, I get, that's what I thought as well when I was watching it. I was like, oh, they know each other and they're trying to keep it on the down lower. They didn't yeah. realise, whatever. They didn't make the brother connection. But it seems to be that just, like there's a physical attraction there's there. A, like the literal thunderbolt yeah. happens yeah. when yeah. they meet.
2: So he goes after her. They go off to a bar together and she kind of let, literally lets her hair down and dances and and... The same thing has happened between Everett and her sister, Claire Danes, that they, when they locked eyes, they had a spark. Mm. And it's so obvious. Everett has a big goofy face on him. Claire Danes is mortified. All sorts of mad shit is happening. But basically, we're in a, a sister swapping scenario. Sister and brother, wife swap scenario. Perfect. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> Merry Christmas. And amongst all this, we know, but not everybody there knows, is that Diane Keaton's character is very sick. Mm. She has breast cancer. It's come back. It's terminal. Um And, you know, she's trying to get through one last happy Christmas without letting on that she's dying and that it will be her last Christmas. So then you can kind of understand why she's pissed off to have her son's new girlfriend that she's not mad about there with them mm. because you know she wants she wants her family around her. she doesn't want this prim and proper weirdo yeah <laughs> absolutely
1: know? and especially I think she finds it hard because before Julie Claire Danes' character the sister comes there's talk of Everett proposing yes. and he wants uh, he wants Dayan the family Keating. stone he wants family stone he wants that ring to propose to her Diane obviously up the walls is like yeah. Can we maybe please not do that and again ends up having to tell him that no you you're know, not having it you're not having it and then also later on is like I'm very sick hence why I'm acting like this and I'm finding this really hard and all that It's just such
2: a horribly sad story set in the most
1: beautiful house Yeah (laughs) You're you're like wow this is depressing where (laughs) do they get that shit That's it
2: So you know I did film in college and one of the first things you learn in film is about mise-en-scene which is everything that you put in the frame it's all very purposeful every single thing you're seeing on camera you're meant to see Mm. and in The Family Stone the mise-en-scene is so beautiful it's so like classic Connecticut waspy Christmas. So it's like, you know, red ribbons and poinsettias and and fir trees and everything is really gorgeous and everyone looks really cosy all the time. Oh, I want to live in that house. Yeah, like, like, but even their clothes, they're all wearing like, you know, snuggly polo necks and like cashmere and they're all fabulous. Yeah. But it's still so tense and awkward and weird that, you know, it's just such a juxtaposition of, of the kind of the beauty of the house and the, the awkwardness of the moment. But then to me, that's Christmas. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's just, it's very human, even though it's a weird story. It's not out of the realm of possibility. And it, yeah, to me, it's a very human story. Yeah. And that's why I kind of keep going back to it. And um, It does something that I absolutely love. Okay. And a lot of um, melodramas or, you know, women's films, as we'll call them, do this, in that they refer back to other films. So if you're familiar with Sleepless in Seattle, that refers very much back to an affair to remember. When Harry Met Sally, they talk about Casablanca a lot. In The Family Stone, it's Meet Me in St. Louis, which is one of my other favourite Christmas films. I adore it. And at one point, um, Sarah Clark's character watches Judy Garland sing Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. And it's kind of... The the come down after the storm, mm. and everybody kind of knows at this point that the, the mom is sick, it's going to be her last Christmas, and it's just very moving, I think. Yeah. And it's after that that the fun picks up.
1: Yeah. And to, uh, Sarah Clark's character is also dealing with her own thing. She's heavily pregnant, yeah. has a child, her husband everyone keeps, Yeah. There. everyone keeps being like, When's her husband coming? Whenever Will, I just can't remember his name, he's relevant. But anyway, they keep asking <laughs> when he's coming, and she's like, Tomorrow. But then Diane Keaton cops and is like, He's not coming, is he? What's going but on? But he does. Okay. He does show up.
2: Does he? Yeah, he shows up on Christmas Day. Because in America, you can get flights on Christmas Day. <laughs> so I think he I think the whole thing is that, you know, she is alone a lot. Okay. But no, he does, he shows up towards the end. At the very
1: end? Yeah. When
2: when well
1: sorry, no, he definitely here. shows up. Does he? Yeah. I'm not, yeah,
2: I remember him in my head, he's got sandy hair, he's wearing an overcoat, he comes in and he kisses her, he hugs the the child. Is this? It's th- the Christmas morning after Meredith has spilled everything on herself. Okay. He comes in around then. Or potentially maybe. You have to watch it again? Oh fuck, I have to watch <laughs> it again, oh my god. Now, I could be, I could have dreamed that, sometimes I'm not sure what's a dream about. <laughs> But no, she's definitely not by herself on Christmas Day. Okay, definitely, yeah. Well, that's and then, good. I'm happy for her. Yeah, and then there is a flash forward at the end. Yeah, and she has her baby. Yeah, and she seems grand. But again, he's he's not there. Because that's, that's why he wa- he
1: wasn't there for that. He cr- wasn't there at the very end. Okay, no. Mm. Yeah, I think
2: you're meant to think that you know she's made this decision to have children and she's she's parenting alone okay. most of the time. But he's a busy just, guy.
1: Okay, he's he's working. He's working. Yeah, he's working. Interesting. Okay, the kid is an interesting device. Okay, because she's that. the
2: only child in you know a Christmas movie, which is rare enough. And she's kind of used to meddle. Okay, interesting. <laughs> like at one point, she she takes Meredith's shoes and yes. and breaks them slightly. Mm. And it's a device for Meredith to be a, to be a wagon in front of everyone. She kind of grabs the shoe back off the kid, and then at another part. It. Julie tells her that she's leaving, and tells her not to tell anybody. And the kid is the one that's like, "Julie's gone." Like she said, to say goodbye. The ring on her finger, like she's, just she's used as a little narrative. Yeah, she's the ring. Exactly, she's the family stone on her finger because Julie gave it to her. And um, there's a very strange scene where Everett makes Julie try on the ring that he's going to give to Meredith, and it gets
1: stuck. That bizarre again, Everett. What? Yeah, strange fella, like. Like, you're engaged. Yeah. Would you, like, if if your fella had put your ring on somebody else to to try it on before? No, he'd be dead. Yeah. He would be dead. I mean, and there'd be no engagement and I'd be in prison. Exactly. Rightly so, like, absolutely not. <laughs> especially like, her sister, who you clearly fancy. Especially her sister. And, like, everyone, you see them all, like, fawn over her yeah. and fawn over her. She's a bit more Julie. Yeah. She's a bit more liberal. She says things correctly. Yeah. <laughs> she she asks as well. the right questions. Yeah.
2: Whereas Meredith just she's a terrible case of foot and mouth mm. disease and they're very different as sisters but you can see as the film goes on as Meredith kind of unwinds a little bit they're not quite so different. Yeah. But she has this thing in her head that everyone sees her as the, I think she says this bitch from Bedford, Connecticut. Yeah. And that's... Bigoted bitch from bigoted Bedford, Connecticut. Bigoted yeah. from Bedford. Um, and yeah, that is that is kind of what you see at first but you know, you know from the get-go that she's really sweet. She's mm. just... She's a career gal. You know, she has this vision for her life, which involves a handsome husband. There's one really cringe scene near the beginning where her and Everett have had a little spat and then they're looking in the mirror together and she says, look at them. As in, look at us, like we're so good looking together.
1: Which they are. They are. But in a a buttoned up, waspy way. Because see, this is the thing. Obviously she ends up with the Luke Wilson brother. I kind of feel like they're too similar looking to be together. I get that. Yeah, they look like
2: if you were to draw a corporate couple. Yeah. Circa 2005. Yeah. And then when she physically lets her hair down in the bar, you can see that she's actually a fun gal. Yeah. And she's just not letting herself be because maybe in 2005 to be a, a businesswoman working in, you know, all over the world, she talks about Hong Kong and, and Asia and mm. maybe you had to present a certain like buttoned up figure yeah. with your briefcase and your, your pointy shoes. Mm. But it's such an
1: anti-SJP role for her. Because this is her first role after Sex and the yeah. City finished as well. Yeah. She's brilliant and she was nominated for a Golden Globe for it. She's excellent in it. Yeah. And she, I love her in The First Wives Club. Yes. But she's playing a, a raunchy,
2: sexy bimbo in that. And then, obviously we all know Carrie and we have our feelings about her. But <laughs> generally, everyone kind of has this warmth towards Sex and the City. So then for her to play this Completely different character. It was brave. It was mm. great. And she has had a few flops since. And oh my, we could probably do a whole could, SJB we series. We could do a whole Failure issue. to launch. Yeah, it felt terrible. Yeah. Dread. Shocking. And I really should have liked that because it's it's right in my wheelhouse. Yeah. You know, crappy rom-com. She looks fabulous in it though. She looks great. Fabulous. But, but yeah, our, do you know what? I saw Failure to Launch. I was living in Italy. This is ridiculous. I was living in Italy for three months to learn Italian for my Perfect. degree. yeah. Because they make you go and live in Italy for a while. And I went to see that dubbed... Um, in, in Italian cinema and it was actually better.
0: <laughs> Says it all, Because it just
2: seemed more outlandish, yeah. you know, dubbed in Italian. It was like. I'd love to hear funny. Matthew McConaughey's uh, Italian oh, voice actor. Dreadful. And like Bradley Cooper's in that. He plays a supporting oh, character. Oh, yes, yeah. yeah. So additional. Terrible film, but very interesting from a pop culture point of view. But yeah, she had lots of flops. She did that um, show Divorce on HBO. That was, I, I feel like the critics liked that though, did it they? It just wasn't very interesting yeah okay fair <laughs> I had a great premise and a great cast but it just it never took off it just it never ignited failed to launch you know? if you will but yeah it failed to launch there you go that's why you're a podcaster yeah, <laughs> yes. Jones. that's it that's it <laughs> But yeah she's had a very interesting career she's in some of my favorite films of all time like first Wives Club, hocus pocus of course um, yeah but yeah this was a really unusual choice for her and she did
1: it great she rotted me for a good half of it so well done Who's your favourite character and then who would be the character that you relate to the most? Potentially they're the same, maybe they're not.
2: My favourite character is the dad. I never know this man's name. It's a funny name. Craig T. Nelson. I just remembered it. Stunning. I think he's in Blades of Glory. I think he's the coach in Blades of Glory, the ice skating coach because in my mind he's always wearing ice skates. I haven't seen Bla- <laughs> Blades of Glory. Checking. I'm checking, perfect. I really like him as an actor. He's very reassuring and he's the most level-headed and kind Family Stone member. He's the one that's urging everybody to be nice to Meredith and he, he gives warm hugs and he's a bit of crack. He smokes weed with Luke Wilson. Mm. They, they He just seems like a really lovely man and it's terrible. You're really feeling for him because he's losing his wife. Mm. And they seem to have a great relationship, seem to be really close. They're, they're sexy. They have yeah. sex. He is the coach in blue. Yes. So I'm boring. not imagining him wearing ice skates. No. <laughs> that did happen. That, is, that isn't a dream.
1: That wasn't really And good.
2: maybe I relate to that character the most as well because... I'd like to think that I aspire to be like that—to be kind and warm and nice. Are you a bit of a mediator at Christmas? Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm an only child, and I'm a woman. Sorry, I think. (laughs) So (laughs) yes, so yes, absolutely. I I absolutely am. Yeah, Um, but I mean, I can be bitchy, so I can relate to to Rachel McAdams' character as well. Um, She is the kind of she's kind of intellectual, but in an artsy way, and Mm. she's she doesn't wear a lot of makeup. So no, actually, I can't relate to her at all.
1: I go take that back. Sorry, no, I take,
2: completely take that back. <laughs> yeah, I think I am maybe the mediator, maybe the go-between kind of gal. So mm. yeah, I'll take that. I'll relate to ice skating dad. We love ice skating dad.
0: <laughs> if you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com.
1: As you mentioned, it wasn't a total flop. It did make money. So the budget was $18 million and it ended up making $92.9 million at the box office. Um, but as you mentioned, critics, didn't really love it. It's at 53%, 53% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah.
2: Which uh, all good films are.
1: Yeah, and as I always say in this podcast, Rotten Tomatoes, not necessarily the best... An arbiter of taste. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But I think the main thing, I could read loads of reviews here, but the main thing, the main point I've taken from a lot of the reviews are and a lot of the critic, critical consensus is, tonally, it's very weird, a bit jarring sometimes. Yeah. How do you respond to that and how do you convince people to maybe go back to it if they felt like that maybe first watch? Yeah, like I said, you have to push through the pain <laughs> to get to the good part, right? To get to the Christmas
2: magic and then there's more pain at mm. the end when um, Mammy dies. Mm. But that happens off screen. There's actually, a, I, I try and convince people because there are some really funny set pieces in it. So there's a whole thing with Meredith making breakfast that she normally makes in her family home. Now, I don't know, is this an American thing? I find it really strange to just go to somebody's gaff for Christmas that you've never met. Yeah. Isn't that a bit strange? Intense. Right? So she's going, I think they're all in the same, I think they're all in Connecticut or that kind of region. Mm. Um, but she's, basically she's choosing not to spend Christmas with her family and to spend Christmas with these strangers and her relatively new boyfriend. Having only met the sister previously. Yes, once. And yeah. took her to a nice restaurant and she was a bitch. Um, and she has this whole thing that she's making the Morton family strata. Now mm-hmm. I have googled this recipe every Christmas, but I've never made it. Maybe this will be the year. But basically, you cut out white bread, you cut like shapes out of it, and you layer them with egg and like spices and mushrooms and savoury things and mushrooms, put of
1: cheese. Oh, see, I was thinking kind of bread and butter. Pudding no, it's savoury. Okay you put a fuckload of cheese on top and you cool. bake it. It sounds delicious. The but Everett version is, sounds delicious as well, Everett actually, is yeah. allergic
2: to mushrooms, right? So that's the first thing. People, yeah. everyone's His family are all like, Everett's allergic. And she's like, I didn't know. So she's really funny. Like Sarah Jessica Parker is really, really funny in it. And then the strata becomes a thing. And at the kind of height of all the excitement, she spills two trays of strata all over her fancy blouse and shoes. And that's the bit when everything just breaks, when everyone starts feeling really sorry for her and she's able to sit on the floor covered in goo and laugh at it's the Sarah horrible Keating, situation, like, laughing
1: at her, and she like Sarah Jessica Meredith initially sobbing yeah. and like, like you're she not says so you're, perfect. Yeah, yourself. she says you're
2: so mean. You're the worst one. She says to Rachel McAdams, and she's so right. right. But like, there, Diane and and, and Rachel um, are both like you're right. We're we've been absolute bitches to you. And I think th- there's a lot of physical humor, and mm. Sarah Jessica Parker is really good at physical humor. D- do you know that she's a ballerina? I didn't. Oh my God. Sergis Parker is a ballerina. Makes sense. She's a musical theatre kid. She played Annie on Broadway when she was eight. Like she is a very physical person. And when you think about Carrie strutting down Fifth Avenue in her shoes, that takes a physical, you mm. know, a certain physicality. And she, yeah, it's the same in First Wives Club. I remember she's like shirking her leopard fur off her, her shoulder at one point. She's a very physical actress that people don't really give her credit for. And I think it's these pockets of humour throughout that that kind of sustain the film, it stops it from getting too awkward. But I've seen people get to the Christmas dinner where you know Meredith's accused of essentially being a bigot and being like you have to switch this off like my own husband is like I'm cringing too much please stop um, but it's just I think as well like I mentioned the look of the film keeps people watching it because it's beautiful mm. and it's very old school, like the opening credits. It's like Meet Me in St. Louis. It's like classic. There's like a ca- classic drawing of a Christmas bell and upbeat jingle jangling music. Like it. It's you're right. Tonally, it is all over the place. <laughs> but once you get through that that tricky part, I think you're onto the home straight of actual emotion. And there's a really beautiful scene in which Meredith proves that you know she has got a heart in that she has found a photograph of Diane Keaton. This I think her name is Sybil. Me, yeah, yeah Sybil. Sybil. Yeah. She Sibyl. found a picture picture of Sybil pregnant. It's obvious one of Diane Keaton pregnant in real life in like the 70s or 80s and it's a gorgeous black and white photo and she's framed it for each of the children and for a Sybil and she has no idea that Sybil is sick so she doesn't know how meaningful this is mm. and I think that's the bit when everybody softens towards her and it's very emotional and you realise this is her last Christmas and she's, you know, she's not going to be around and it's been absolutely chaotic but maybe that's, maybe that's how things are in the Stone household maybe that's normal like they're, yeah. they're not, you know, a clappy happy Family all the time. Yeah,
1: and Christmases aren't always, Christmases always aren't perfect. Christmases aren't always perfect
2: and, you know, nothing is. And I think going into Christmas with the expectation that you can make it perfect is is a lot to live up to. You're setting
1: yourself up for failure. And exactly. The I just go going, for nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. nice is great. Go yeah. for grand. Yeah. Go for absolutely fine. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's just one day and yeah. then it's over and then
2: you eat all week. Would you be a big Christmas person anyway? I am more so now as as I get older. Mm. I think since I met my husband and fell in love with his family, thank God they're nothing like the Stones. They were so warm and welcoming and amazing. And my family, I'm an only child, and my parents have bonded spectacularly with his um, sister and mother to the point that, this is a weird offshoot, but it just goes to show... My sister in law is getting married and she is making her wedding dress out of my dress, my mum's dress, my mum, and her mum's dress.
1: Oh, I'm so That's how close we are. That. Yeah,
2: and it's, it's amazing. It's very my, oh my sister in law. Sustainable queens. So She is the queen of sustainability. You would love her. Um, but she, yeah, they just kind of have made Christmas really fun because growing up as an only child, like I loved it. I had two cousins I was really close to, really close to my grandparents. But, you know, there was that, those kind of few years in between when I was an adult. But you know, I wasn't really enjoying Christmas because I was just going home for a couple of nights and like going to the pub, going to the local, and I just wasn't really loving it. I was kind of by myself. Mm. And then when Joe's family and my family blended so beautifully, it became really fun. And then when I bought my house, I got really into decorating it. And I think yeah, maybe the last seven or eight years, I'm I've become a real Christmas hun. Mm. Like I've always loved winter, loved the the dark nights, loved the cold because I'm always sweating. <laughs> and yeah, I'm I'm full Christmas hun right now love it me which too which I'm living for it. be yeah.
1: you speak so beautifully about your own family which is at odds with obviously the dysfunction of the family stone and <laughs> the family that we meet in Reality Check your Woo. book which is out next year how did you find that process of creating that family when they have so much going on and can you tell people a little bit about who we meet in Reality Check?
2: Yes, so Reality Check is about it's predominantly about a woman named Portia she is 37, 38 and she is the daughter of an Irish reality star basically in Los Angeles so if you can imagine uh, her mother being an amalgamation of Lisa Vanderpump, Chris Jenner, maybe a bit of Celia Holman-Lee thrown yes, in. Yes, <laughs> I very much got that, yeah. Because she's very Irish, she's from yeah. Kerry, and she's kind of Irish the way Lisa Vanderpump is English. Mm. They kind of make a thing of it. Yeah, proud, you know? de- yeah, like proud, absolutely. front and centre. Totally, yeah. and we don't have an Irish real housewife. We don't really have... You know, any kind of older Irish reality stars at all. We have the wonderful Daisy Kellagher on Below Deck. Um but yeah, in terms of the Housewives Universe, there was rumours for a while we were gonna get Claudine Keane on Beverly Hills because she's best friends with Dorite. Yeah. Um but Will it that never happened. happened. Do you think? No, I don't think she wants to. I've asked her about it. She's she's like I'd be boring. <sighs> so yeah, I, I mean
1: fair because you don't want to sign up and then the next thing can be as boring to, to a yeah, fan. Exactly, with, we saw it with so poor, poor old Teddy Mellencamp. But anyway, yeah. I digress. Yeah. I digress. But that's where the idea came from. Anyway, it was you
2: know what if we had an Irish real housewife? Um, what if her daughter was kind of out of the spotlight, but obviously very much associated with it? And then she has a sister who's slightly younger than her who was a model when she was younger, kind of the Agnestine era. Um, and she is now a, a kind of mommy goop style blogger, a lifestyle influencer. Um, and people buy her nipple pads and her, her vagina crystals and, and listen to everything she says. And it's a book about kind of the three women going through crisis at the same time and, and not really fully understanding the other's crisis. And um, It's, yeah, it's, they're really interesting because I didn't know that I could write a sister relationship because I don't have a sister. Yeah. I have a sister-in-law and she's amazing, but the way it just came out of me, I didn't mean it to, do you know what I mean? Um, the story just kind of very naturally flowed. I had I had the kind of points that I wanted to hit along the way. And then as I wrote these characters, they became so real that sometimes I think Desdemona Daniels is a real person. Um, <laughs> and she's the, the the mother. And yeah, they just became so real to me that I was able to imagine this relationship. Mm. And it's kind of a, the sister relationship is kind of one I'd love to have, I think, and one that I, I half have, have with my sister-in-law and that, you know, we're not related, but we're very close. Mm. Um, and yeah, just their family dynamic I found really interesting. You know, the mother's been married a few times. She has a much younger daughter, a teenage daughter who's a bit of a nightmare. She's a TikTok wannabe and um, she's had this incredibly strange life where she's grown up from birth, not just from, you know, being a young child from birth on camera. Mm. um. And yeah, the, like I absolutely loved every second of, of writing it and of the process and I'm dying for it to be
1: out in the world. It's out uh, the first week in May um, and I can't wait for people to read it. I think it really comes across on the page that you enjoyed writing it because you are such a fan and I think yeah. that's so important. <laughs> it's because I think it's really easy to... Write a story, but not be, how do I phrase it? Like, you're not in the world. And it's very obvious then from reading that it's like, you're coming at this from an outside perspective, which is fine, but it makes it like less authentic, less believable. Whereas this, it's dripping with you and your understanding of the world. And no, I genuinely, I've (laughs) like, if you're a reality fan, we were talking about this off mic. You love it, like you'll inhale it. It's kind
2: of a bit of Kardashians, bit of Housewives, kind of amalgamated because mm. I love both. Yeah. I've been a long-term Kardashian super fan and then I only really got into the Housewives during lockdown. Um, I was editing Stellar magazine at the time from home, which was a very strange experience because a lot of your time when you're editing a magazine is spent away from your desk, meeting people and going to events and, and being at photo shoots. So I had all of this time that I'd never had before. Um, so I started watching it and I, oh, I must have watched thousands hours. I think I watched forty odd seasons of research, Housewives, yeah, and it just ingrained itself into my brain so much. And I think that shows because it was it was core research, like, and and I wasn't watching it with writing the book in mind. It was just something I enjoyed so much that when it came to to thinking of a story, I was like, well, well so this I'm is gonna, obvious. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, I'm going to write about this, um, and I'm obsessed with reality TV. I always have been. And working as a magazine editor, I know a lot about it. I've interviewed a lot of people over the years. And I went to BravoCon last year in New York, and that made it into the book in the form of V Palooza. The, the the network that Desi Show is on is called the V Network, um, and yeah, that experience is pretty much exactly how it was. Um, my friend Patrick and I kind of found our safe spaces there because it's very overwhelming. Like at one point I was quite hung over and I was just shouting I'm overstimulated this is a lot <laughs> yes it is a lot mm. um, but anyone who watches Housewives shows or who likes reality TV I think yeah I think they'll find that it's quite accurate Yeah. Um, and you know a mutual acquaintance of ours Laura DeBarra is a huge Housewives fan and she's reading it at the moment and she's texting me going your descriptions are great she was like "Oh, would Desi not be wearing Tom Ford in this instance instead of Roland Moray and I'm like you know what Laura you're right and luckily I can change stuff like that still at this point because we're still a few months away um, but yeah I'm yeah it's, it's kind of a it's been a passion project and, and one that I've at this time last year I knew that I had the book deal but I had no idea how writing it would actually go mm. so this whole year has been a real I guess, journey <laughs> for me, discovering that I actually love writing fiction. I absolutely love it. After 16 years of, of writing journalism, mm. you know, it's and you'll notice throughout the book, there's a lot of journalism in it. Yeah. There's features and there's interviews and there's kind of like bulletins. I love that. Like, as,
1: again, as someone who grew up on Life magazine and seeing, you know, Daisy on the cover of that, yeah. i just obsessed. I mean, I'm hopefully. getting to read the interview as if I was, it's, I love that
0: shit. I love I, I love writing that. that so yeah. much.
1: And
2: my dream now when it comes out is for Life magazine to let me cosplay Desi on the cover, like
0: that is that is oh, the
2: actual please, dream. Please, please, please let me do that. Oh my yeah, god, that got was the s- Penguin girls working on that. <laughs> that would slay so hard. Yeah. Fingers crossed. And you know, it's it's a romantic book, but it's not pure romance. And it's it's a family-oriented book. It's I think it's quite funny. Like I didn't know it could be funny. It is funny. It, it yeah. just it just kind of came out. Um, and it's not. It doesn't really fit into one category, at all. Mm. What do you think when you're reading it? Like it, it it's not a romance. No, definitely not. But it's it has kind of a romantic family feeling. comedy yeah. romance drama it's kind of a yeah
1: it's, I was going to say say in a common book but there are more dramatic obviously yeah, storylines and important talking points I think which,
2: yeah I mean I just wanted it to be meaningful and I wanted to write about something that's very important to me personally which isn't often discussed which is women choosing not to have children yeah. um, and that's something that I've always known about myself that I never wanted to be a mother Um, and you, you just don't hear about
1: it really we hear about it in passing but you don't read books about it but and I think reading that conversation of you know you're with someone and they may or may not change their mind or whatever or they and they think you might change your mind as a woman and I think it's really important to have that in print in this book and hear it spoken about like that in a scenario Yeah and I think that's
2: what you know a lot of I think a lot of the media will pick up on that and stuff I mean it's not something that defines me as a person or as a writer by any stretch but I think it's important to have conversations about decisions in life and and making choices and you know whether you change your mind or not it's not really relevant like people have been telling me since I was 18 that I'm going to change my mind I'm now turning 38 and I haven't. And mm. I, you know, I think some people thought when I got married, when I met Mr. Wright, that I'd changed my mind. Haven't, you know, and if I do in two years, you know, some people be like, haha, I told you so. But I, I, it's highly unlikely. Mm. I only say that in, you know, the worst case scenario that, you know, the hormones affect me to the point where, because people tell you that as well. They're like, you won't expect it. And then the hormones will come and you'll be mad for babies who want to eat them. <laughs> I really don't think so. But, you know, disclaimer, it might happen.
1: There you go. They there won't. You go. It won't happen. It won't. Ma'am, it's not happening. We have it on we have it on mic anyway. No, I can't wait to a,
2: truly it's never happening up. But yeah. I do have dreams where people are like, see so you're nine months pregnant, touch, so You're like, that's helpful now, yeah, isn't it? Brilliant. Yeah. No. But uh, it was important to me as a woman and as a writer to write that yeah. and have that be part of a much bigger. Story yeah. about this family who are all quite different but very close and have the same kind of gas hilarious lifestyle that is stranger than fiction. But uh, you know, is is their reality? Mm.
1: And I think it's also it's not a uh, a lifestyle that people like women in that industry pursue either. You know what I mean? Like, there's very few child free. Women, and I feel like even look at Jennifer Aniston the way we talk about her and the way we talked about her for years. Poor Jen. No, but oh, ball and cry. Like, it's So I think even it's even more relevant to this story and more important I think yeah yeah, and I mean Portia's not me and I'm not Portia Mm -hmm. I think I'm probably I'm more Desi than anybody
2: but there's elements of me in all of them there's elements of people I know in all of them and there's a fun kind of wider circle of supporting cast that are like a bit of comic relief and um, like they're all an amalgamation of people that I know and yeah it's writing a book is a really interesting writing fiction is really interesting because what you don't know what's going to come out and you don't know how they're going to shape these people but yeah if you've done a good job I think you'll feel like they're real and and that's that's how i knew when i was in the sweet spot when i was like oh i wonder what david would think of this and david's a fake person i made up
1: Maybe yeah, that's worrying. <laughs> in its own way, maybe that's worrying. Thinking we simply don't have time to get into yeah. the fictitious people who yeah. are making up in your brain. But uh, thank you so much for chatting to me. <laughs> I will leave all details of reality check in the show notes. And just to say, for every author, pre-orders are so important. So, so important. get them in. I'll link for as many places as possible. Before I do let you go, though, The Family Stone. What's your elevator pitch for anyone? I know we've ruined it for... Yeah, absolutely. Which is funny, but... Yeah. I don't know, anyone who's listened and who is the bah humbug side of it, who can't get into it. Or if they're your, trying to sell it to somebody. Or you're trying, exactly, yeah. you're trying to sell it to someone else, it's your favourite Christmas movie as well, and you're yeah. trying to sell someone else to watch it. What do they need to know? What are you telling them?
2: It's about a couple going home for the holidays to a place that's not exactly hospitable to them. And the dynamics of a crazy family Christmas where most things go wrong. And it looks really gorgeous, and you'll feel really Christmassy after you've watched it, and want to wear a jumper and and drink eggnog. Have you ever I, tried eggnog? No, it's disgusting. What is it? It's like a um, cold milkshakey alcoholic. It's cold. Yeah. No, absolutely not. I, I think you, you can it know. You, know it, you can have it both ways. You can have okay. it. I've had a cold. Um, no, I definitely it's, wouldn't it, be having a cold. It's sweet and cloying, and you'd have to put a lot of booze into it to make it worth it. Okay. I think. What booze is in it? Normally, whiskey. Some people just drink it non-alcoholic, like they just drink like milk. Like, um, you can put whiskey, you can put rum. Uh, rum would be, good, would be good, I think. Okay, bit of tropical flavor
0: in your eggnog. Mmm, rum milk. Yum. Tropical, mm. <laughs> tropical <delicious.
1: laughs> Christmas milk. Delicious. <laughs> okay, eggnog is a flop. Yeah. Uh, Family Stone. Maybe a bop? I don't know. Bop, bop for me. Bop for... Yeah, I did enjoy it, but I could, when people were like, this is depressing, totally weird, I was like, Absolutely. I get it. Absolutely. I do get it. But that cast and that's the performances... Christmas, guys. That's Christmas. <laughs> that is Christmas. You have been Vicky Nataro. Thank you so much for joining me on Pop Culture. Huge thanks again to Vicky for rounding out the last episode of 2023 and making me watch a very strange film, But she was right about your once-husband turning up at the end. Never has a man impacted my life less and mattered in a movie less. But she was right. So there you go. Sorry. I can't believe I ever doubted you, Vicky. And you know what she's also right about? Her book. It's brilliant. Please go pre-order Reality Check. It's out May 9th, 2024. Consider it like a future Christmas present. Or a future, a New Year present for yourself. The best thing about pre-ordering books is that you can kind of like forget and then it arrives and you're smug, you know? It's great and it makes a huge difference for authors. And if you're coming into the summer holiday, beat read, stunning, gorgeous. I love that for you. Go do it now. And if you want to, all the links are in the bio. You'll be able to do it there. If my cajoling hasn't been enough, if you're still confused. The one thing I forgot to mention in the chat with Vicky, when we were recording was something that had come up in my research a lot was how often the family stone features in lists that are centered around, you know, the best kind of queer slash LGBTQ plus movies to watch this holiday season. And it's, that's, I didn't realize how like warmly embraced it is by certain members of that community, given the scene at the dinner table that myself and Vicky discuss, where, which is just, I mean, absolute masochism, I think, to, to watch it again and again. Salute to the people who do it every Christmas. You are, I think you should be studied personally. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I mean, in other ways, it's, you look at the casting and you look at the storylines and how progressive it was for early in those years. It's, it's kind of mad. And the other thing I forgot to mention was the director, Thomas Bazucha, Bazooka. He also directed his next film after The Family Stone. He waited like six years and he was like, I need to come back with an absolute classic. And that he did because he came back with the film adaptation of Monte Carlo starring, yes, Selena Gomez and Leighton Meester, which we actually just recently watched for the Bandwagon's Patreon. If you would like to hear all about that and what we thought about that film. If you can't get enough Family Stone content, I would also like to recommend another Patreon. Might make a good Christmas gift if you've left it very last minute and you are now resorting to subscriptions for things, which I still think is a good gift. I don't care. The Celebrity Memoir Book Club Patreon. I obviously love the main feed episodes. It's where they review celebrity memoirs. Their Patreon, they kind of go longer on Long form content, kind of more into their memoirs. It kind of depends week to week. um, And usually it's just a bit of chit chat between the two gals, Claire and Ashley, the hosts. But the most recent episode, they actually did a rewatch of The Family Stone. And I thought particularly Claire made a lot of compelling arguments around the fact that maybe The Family Stone shouldn't be considered as a Christmas movie, but it should just be considered as a family movie and that it's a brilliant family movie. It just happens to be set at Christmas. And they kind of go into it in more depth as well. So, as I said, Celebrity Memoir Book Club, they are on Patreon. Go subscribe. Go support the gals. Support independent media. We love it. We do love it, girls. In keeping with the spirit of Christmas, you know what? Nobody's top of the flops. Nobody's top of the flops this week. How could I? I'm not that much of a grinch. I'm really not. But needless to say, we will be talking about all the Flops of the Year on this year's bonus episode. Top of the Flaps 2023, which is coming to Patreon before the end of the year. It's patreon.com forward slash Flop Culture, where you can get all your bonus episodes. Speaking of independent media. What's up there as well for this month, we just recently posted an episode around contemporary Christmas pop music with Sissy That Pod's Keen Sullivan, and he's a DJ as well and loves music, as do I. We talk about the hits of the 2010s, 2020s and the noughties, the Christmas pop hits that have come through, and we consider what it takes to become canon in Christmas music land. A great listen, if I do say so myself. So if you want to go over there, you'll get at least two bonus episodes a month. But this month, I think you're probably going to get four, which is great. That's good. Lots of content for Christmas to listen to over this festive period. As always, we are on social media. It's at Flop Culture underscore pod. If you want to keep up with us, I would really appreciate that. And the greatest gift of all, five star ratings. If If you are so inclined, wherever you're listening... If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, I will say if you leave your nickname in the review and you leave a five-star review, I will be back in the new year with a personalized bopper flap recommendation for you on the next episode. And speaking of the next episode, as I mentioned, we are on Christmas break. We'll be back in the new year. Uh, Can I give you some hints for upcoming episodes? Yes, I can. We've got a one-and-done series from Netflix coming January 11th. And on January 18th, well, we might... We might be trying to make fetch happen. I'll leave you with that. This has been Flop Culture. Happy Christmas. Happy 2024. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Have the most pleasant Christmas and New Year. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it so much. Floppy Discs, I will see you in 2024. Goodbye.